We are continuing on church by church, going through the seven letters. We're on letter number four. And interesting thing kind of takes place when we get to letter number four. It's the fourth one. And so things that have already been said are, are said in reference. And then things that are new are given more time. With that in mind, the letter today to the church in Thyatira is the longest of the seven letters. So there's going to be a few things to talk about. But before we get to Thyatira, let's do a little review. I want to go uh, through your notes and, and kind of remember what we've learned so far. And this is super fast review, very, very much a summary statement here. So if you miss some of these, go back and listen online. So first one in your notes, all seven churches were to receive instruction and warning as they read them. In other words, we should read each one as if it is or could be written to us. So we're talking about Thyatira today, and the people in the church in Thyatira would have read the letter to Ephesus, the letter to Smyrna, and the letter to Pergamum before they read the letter to themselves. In, in those summary-type statements, if they only read their own letter, they'd miss out on some of the meaning because they didn't read the letters that came first. So we, too, are supposed to read all of them, and in fact, we're supposed to read them in order. And we're supposed to ask the question, could this be written to my church? Could this be written to me? Does this warning apply to me? How, how should I be thinking about this? And, and that's how we read these. Second one, the only true test of a teaching or movement or spiritual practice is Scripture. It's the only true test. Circumstances change. Culture changes. Society changes. Age changes. Opportunities change. Consequences change. Everything around us is always changing. What doesn't change is Scripture. God's Word, His commands, His principles... They don't change, and, and they are the truth from God, therefore they are the test. So when I hear some popular person telling me something new they discovered, I need to check and see if what they say is new is in Scripture. When they tell me that they have a, a different approach or more relevant approach to something, I need to check it with Scripture. So new isn't bad, different isn't bad, it has to align with Scripture though. So we should be looking for new and different that's only different in approach, not different in doctrine, and not different in what Scripture says. So that's the true test. And then the third one, true believers have forgiveness, eternal life, help to persevere until the final victory is won, and then will receive their ultimate reward. And, and you know, I chose these blanks intentionally, true because we're talking about true believers. Every letter ends with a statement about true believers. Those who are victorious. Those who, who make it to the end. These types of phrases. So we're talking about true believers. And one thing that's pointed out is that our, our actual reward comes in eternity. Sometimes we think we should get our reward now. Like I, I should have good health because I'm a good Christian. I should have a good bank account because I'm a good Christian. I should have lots of friends because I'm a good Christian. I should have support in this area, and I should have relief in this area, and, and I should be receiving rewards because of my faithfulness. 
Well, God being a good God does sometimes provide these things. There's no doubt about it. But the promise is not for today. The promise is for eternity. And he wants us to look at it like that. He wants us to say, this earth is difficult. Eternity will be tremendously better. Eternity will be a direct relationship with God without the temptation of sin, without the pain and suffering, without poor health, without opposition, where we will be free to live as God has created us to be in our, in our new bodies, joined with our new souls that were created at our, at our salvation, the, the new creation. And, and we're to look and say, you know what? Because of how good it is down the road, I can deal with a lot of bad stuff now. This is, this is just the hard part. The reward is coming. And to these churches, a couple of them, that were having a really difficult time, that's the encouragement they receive. And if that's the encouragement they receive, then it is true encouragement because it's from God. And, and we need to start thinking that way. You know, we, we kind of think wrong when, when we, we go around saying, well, you know, I did what God wanted, but I didn't get what I wanted. That's really not how this life works. So the next one, to the first church, Ephesus. Ephesus did a lot of great things. There was a fairly long list that we went through. They did some really great things. And in and of itself, they looked very successful. But in the process of doing those great things and, and being successful, they forgot their first love. They forgot to love God. They forgot to love God's people. And they forgot to love the unsaved. It all became about getting the job done, everything looking right, and it, and it became about, about them rather than about God. They forgot their first love. They, they were still doing good things, but their motivation was incorrect. They, they, they weren't accomplishing what they were supposed to, according to God, just themselves. So they forgot their first love. In Smyrna, it was a, a quite a different story. They didn't have a long list of successes because they were surviving. Their, their goal was survival. So Smyrna suffered a great deal socially, physically, and financially for their steadfast love and service of Jesus Christ. There was no condemnation brought against them. Instead, they were instructed to look to their spiritual reward for encouragement and strength. There it is again. Look to your spiritual reward. Look, look far ahead at the, the final goal to gain your strength and perseverance. In Pergamum, Pergamum was commended for standing strong in the midst of Satan's own stronghold. This was where Satan had his, his headquarters, if you will. But some among them, so a small part of the church, were severely warned to stop compromising by following false doctrines and and errant teachings. Compromise was the issue. And when I say severely warned, God literally said, if you don't repent, I'm going to come fight you. And when someone says, I'm going to come fight you, those are very relevant threats right there in front of you. Like, I'm going to come fight you. And, and, you know, kids say that today. My, my kids love to say that to me because they think it's funny because they know I won't because I don't want to get hurt. And I don't want to be responsible for hurting them. So I, we just pretend a lot, and then we push it too hard, and then somebody does get hurt, and then we get in trouble and all this stuff. But, you know, Daniel loves to say, you want to fight? And sometimes I do. 
but I don't. And, and it's like that when, when Jesus, who isn't pretending, says, if you don't stop, I'm going to come fight you. And he says, I'm going to fight with the sword that comes out of my mouth. In other words, my words are so powerful that I can take you down simply by speaking it into existence. And that's what he says. He says, you, you guys are compromising in big ways. Like, you're actually participating in other people's sin, and, and, and you're being taught that's okay. And, and you better stop, repent, or I'm going to fight you. Compromise was the issue in Pergamum. So now we're at Thyatira, and then we're going to read this, and we're going to have to refer back to those other churches to get the full picture here. So let's read chapter 2, beginning of verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Again, worth note. This letter starts with, this is John's handwriting, and it's John's letter, and it's John's servant who delivered it, but this isn't from John. This is Jesus Christ. The description here is telling, because if you remember, we talked about the blazing fire. That means that, means that, that Jesus sees the truth. There's, there's no truth hidden from him. His eyes are like blazing fire. He sees the truth. And his feet are like burnished bronze. He's been tested, and he's proven himself to be pure. So Jesus says, it's, this is from me, the one who knows the truth and who has been tested. And ironically, we're going to get to a point where he says, I know who you are, and some of you are not practicing the truth, and when you are tested, you failed. But he starts in, in verse 19, he says, I know your good deeds, excuse me, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Sounds a lot like Ephesus. Sounds a lot like Ephesus. A lot of the same things in the list, except he doesn't explain them. He doesn't expound on them like he did in Ephesus. So we read this, and we're to go, oh, this is like Ephesus. These guys were doing good things. They were also had a good reputation. They were doing good things. And then they add, and, and you're doing more now than you did at first. So that's a good thing. One verse, though. One verse on the good stuff. Yeah, it's a summary. Yeah, it's a reference back to Ephesus. But not a lot of talk. Not a lot of, not a lot of pats on the back here. Verse 20 immediately says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. We'll stop there because that sounds just like Pergamum. Remember, it was the teachings of Balaam that led them to eat meat sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. And here it's the teachings of Jezebel. So this church has something in favor with Ephesus or in, in, in common with Ephesus, and it has something in common with Pergamum. In verse 21, it changes a bit because remember in Pergamum, the response was repent. It says, I don't like what's going on. You guys are listening to this guy who's teaching the, the teachings of Balaam, and he's telling you to do this, and he's telling you it's okay. You're doing it, and I don't like it. You need to repent. If you don't repent, I'm going to fight you. This one says, I have given her time to repent, and 
repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So in Pergamum, he says, you need to repent. Here he's saying, it's too late. I've given you time. It's too late. Verse 22. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, knows the truth, and will repay each of you according to your deeds. He says, I'm, I, I've given you plenty of time. I've called you to repentance, and you have not. So now you become the example. Now you become the example. Now, we should get a little concerned about that. Because don't we like to think of God as the God who just forgives everything and looks the other way and turns the other cheek and, and doesn't get too excited about what we do and don't do? Well, here's a church he's writing a letter to, and he says, you guys have gone too far already. This, this group of people who are not doing the good stuff, it's time. You are going to be the example. And he says what he's going to do. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but just the fact that in a letter to a church, God says, time's up. Now this is the consequence. Verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Keep going until I come. Keep, keep hanging on until I get there. Back up, though. And it says, you have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. This is really interesting, because I doubt that this woman prophet named Jezebel stood up in church and said, hey, guess what? I know Satan's deep secrets, and if I teach them to you, it'll help you. You can do these things because they're secret, and I know them. I, I doubt she gave that kind of a presentation. So when I read this, I read Jesus saying, that stuff that Jezebel's teaching you, that is from Satan. Her secrets, her insights, her new wisdom, her new way of looking at things, those are all Satan's. Those are Satan's insights and Satan's secrets and Satan's way of looking at things. And he's saying, to those of you who did not listen to Satan, I commend you. And I will not impose any burden on you. So when he comes and he imposes his suffering, it's going to be specific to the people who were following the false teacher. So I will not impose any burden on you except to hold on to what you have. All I want you to do is stay strong and keep going. Starts with you're doing good. Second part of the letter, there's this woman Jezebel who's leading you astray. Those of you who are following, it's been too long and you've gone too far, you're going to be punished. Those of you who haven't, keep staying strong until I get there. Verse 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give, give the one, I will give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit and the seven, the spirit of the seven churches. This is, this is a lot of words. Basically saying, when you get to heaven, you'll receive your reward. Part of your reward for your faithfulness is authority and position. And you're going to be with Jesus. 
That's the reward. Like, part of our reward in heaven is authority and position. I don't know exactly what that means. Because we could all have authority and position. Maybe we have crossover authority. But heaven is not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp eating marshmallows. Heaven, heaven is going gonna, is gonna to be fulfilling. And we're going to be practicing the life we were supposed to live before sin came in. And he says, not only will Jesus be with you, but you will have authority. I'm going to rise. You, I'm going to raise you up. In other words, I'm going to I'm going to bring you guys into my kingdom, and I'm going to make you somebody because of your faithfulness. So that's just a quick reading of the scripture and a few comments. Let's go back to our notes. Let's ask the question: What was Thyatira like? Other than having a name, I can barely say. We don't know a whole lot about Thyatira. Thyatira, look at your notes, was a small, wealthy city where the church suffered little persecution. Little persecution. They didn't have a lot going against them. They, they got along pretty well. The city was a wealthy city. It was small. There wasn't a lot of bad stuff going on other than this worship of false gods. That was everywhere. So this worship of false gods was going on, but they weren't being attacked like they were in Pergamum. It was much more like Ephesus. So we go to the positives. These are the things that are listed. He says, I know your deeds, which means your faith is backed up by your actions. They were an active church, uh, doing according to their beliefs. He says, I know your love, which is new to the list. Ephesus did not have love listed because their issue was they had lost their first love. Here it says, I know your deeds and your love, which would indicate they have not forgotten their first love. They have not forgotten. They haven't lost it. So they are still serving Christ. They, they are doing the right things, and they're doing it for the right reasons. He says, I know your faith. You trust in God and believe his message. Talking to the church, you trust in God and believe your message. I know your service. You're involved in ministry. You're involved. I know your perseverance. You don't give up, and you keep on working hard. Now, perseverance is not sitting down and saying, I'm just going to sit here until it passes. I can endure this for a long time. I know I can handle this. That's not perseverance. I don't know what that is. It's not perseverance. Perseverance is saying, I'm going to keep working hard. Keep doing my best. Keep listening to God. I'm going to keep moving forward. Yes, it's hard. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, I don't really know what's next. But I'm going to keep going because God has called me here. That's perseverance. And so they persevered. They worked hard. And then it says they're doing more. I alluded to this is a new thing. We haven't heard this before. It's a, a, a great thing to be said about you. You're doing more. You are constantly improving. You know how we'll talk sometimes and I'll say, look back five years, look back ten years. You've just gone through a situation. Think of the last time you went through that situation. Ask the question, did I respond differently? Do I have a more mature attitude? Am I more Christ-like this time than last time? Ten years ago, was I able to pray like I am now? Can I pray out loud now when I couldn't before? Do I understand more scripture now than I did before? We look back and we see the progress. Well, God's looking at their progress and he says, you're doing more than you used to. You're improving in all these ways. So even though it's one verse and it's a short statement, these guys are really getting a compliment. 
You're, you're doing all these things that Ephesus was doing, plus, plus you're doing it for the right reasons. You haven't forgotten your, your first love, and you're improving. You're getting better at it all the time. So the church overall gets a pretty good mark on their report card. They're doing well, but there is a negative. We read it from verse 20 on a little ways, and, and in your notes, the negative is A, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. And I always find it interesting when one of these words comes from Scripture that has been flying around in our own news and our own social media, tolerate, tolerance. We need to have tolerance, all this stuff. What does it mean? Well, it says you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Well, she did the same thing that, that Balaam, the people that were teaching Balaam's thought, teaching, did in Pergamum. She told them to, to go do what everyone else is doing for whatever reason. Just be a part of things. Don't make waves. Everybody's happy here. Let's keep it that way. Let's, let's not stir the pot. Uh, you know, don't take a stand on anything. Just, just do what you do. And if you have to do what they do, go ahead and do what they do. And she taught the same thing. And, and the cry here is that you tolerate it. You don't do anything about it. You don't say anything about it. You're not naming names. You're not, you're not naming the false doctrine or the false teaching. The pastor is not standing up and saying, hey, this should not be. This is not what the Bible teaches us. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, it would be a lot easier never to bring those things up. We'd have probably more people in our seats. But that's not what God calls us to do. We're called to, to read the Scripture, interpret the Scripture, and call things as God calls them. So when it says tolerate, they, they kind of did this. And then it's interesting because it's that woman Jezebel. Now, in Pergamum, there wasn't a guy named Balaam. He was just doing what Balaam did. And here, there's probably not a woman actually named Jezebel, but there's a woman doing what Jezebel did. Remember, Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab, and she led the entire nation into idolatry, away from, from the true God. And this woman is leading this church away from God and into idolatry. So it's a, the woman Jezebel. And she's teaching these things. It's interesting that it was a man in Pergamum, and it's a woman here in Thyatira. So, you know, Satan's not opposed to using anybody, and it doesn't matter who's doing the teaching. It doesn't matter if it's a man teaching or a woman teaching. False teaching is false teaching, and compromise leads to destruction. So B, in time, in Thyatira or excuse me, this time in Thyatira, the time to repent has come and gone. It's, it's gone too far. He says, I'm going to, now there's consequences. So number four, there's no warning here. It doesn't say repent or else, or I'm about to. It says, I am. And what's going to happen? She's going to suffer physically. She will suffer physically. The person, the ringleader in, in this false teaching will suffer physically. And this is really interesting because we, we kind of don't think about God doing this. And it's really hard to spot God doing this. But in this case, when God says ahead of time, by the way, when so-and-so starts suffering physically, that's me. It might be hard to miss. And, and, but God has this in his tool belt. And, and he may be punishing. He may be calling someone to repentance. But she, this, this prophet... Who's the prophet of Jezebel? She's going to suffer physically, and then it says those who practice her false teachings with her will also suffer. 
It says those who commit adultery with her. Now this is not adultery like the sexual immorality adultery. This is spiritual adultery. Those who follow her teaching, which means not following God, those who practice spirituality other than God's spirituality, that's spiritual adultery, so they will also suffer. And these are probably not the ones who are simply deceived and confused. These are probably those who are standing up with her, propagating and promoting. The, the minions, if you will, the, the ones who are, are doing the work, her disciples. She will suffer, they will suffer. And then see, it says, I will strike her children dead. And I have in your notes, is this literal children? Is this spiritual children? What, what's going on here? Well, I, I think it's spiritual children, for sure. Maybe literal children, but spiritual children makes more sense. And in spiritual children, I think we're referring to the leaders. So her as the head, and all those who do her work in leading the people astray, I, I, they're going to get sick, they're going to they're suffer physically, and, and some of them are going to die. And the reason? So that all the church will know that I'm serious. So that all the church will know that I'm serious. Now, I, I want to back this up because we're talking about compromise. Compromise often happens in, 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 in interesting ways. And, and when I was Thinking about this, I thought of The Amazing Race. How many of you watched The Amazing Race? Okay, the rest of you should. It's a great show. Mostly. So The Amazing Race is about these people who sign up to do crazy, crazy things, walk on tight wires across giant canyons, dive into water that no human should ever swim in, um, just crazy stuff. Uh, you know, things we're all afraid of. Eat, eat weird things. And, and Teresa and I, sometimes we joke that we should try out for The Amazing Race. And then we realized that we'd be out before the first episode was filmed because there's always something in the beginning. We don't swim well. We don't eat weird things. We're afraid of heights, all this stuff. But there's one scene I remember because they always introduce the characters. Oh, here's so-and-so, they're this. Here's so-and-so, they're that. And we pick who we're going to root for and who we don't want to win based on all that. And oftentimes there's a Christian couple. And, and they have a Christian couple and they're, they're praying and they're praising God and all this stuff, which is great. And we start rooting for them. And inevitably, they always wind up at a temple somewhere. A Buddhist temple or a Mayan temple or an Indian thing. Or they always wind up at a temple somewhere. And part of what they have to do is go in and make an offering or burn some incense and say a prayer or get blessed by the priest or something like that. And it's so simple, there's no challenge involved. It's just like a slow down so we can film you point in the show. And, and they all go in. And I always think to myself, I'd be done right there. I'd be done right there because there's no way I could do this. And I'm like, what are the Christians going to do when they show up? And almost every time they show up, and they go in and they say something like, well, we just have to do this for the race. It won't mean anything to me. And they go in and they let the blessing take place or they let the ritual take place or they do whatever they ask them to do. And I think, I think wow, that's a compromise. They have just said and they've just shown that, that the opportunity to make some money and the opportunity to be famous is worth compromising the direct teachings of God. And I think, wow, they do that. And, and I think, well, so, so it does happen. Compromise does happen. 
And I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how faithful they were or what he's going to do about that. That's all his deal. Then I talk, and then I get down to so the church will know that I am serious. And I think, what has God done to let us know he's serious? And I wonder sometimes. We don't have, we don't have anyone writing down God's words for us anymore. We don't have anyone saying, oh, did you see this in the news? I did that. And this is why I did that. So we have to wonder. We have to speculate. And sometimes people speculate in ways that, that doesn't look good, and doesn't sound good, and doesn't sound like God. And then some people skip stuff that does sound like God. And I was thinking back, where have we seen this? And some of you remember our old friend Mark Driscoll. Remember Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill Church up in Seattle, doing great stuff. Had a great ministry. A lot of good preaching going on. A lot of good stuff going on. All on the outside, it looked good. They were the church in Ephesus. Man, did it look good. Everyone was paying attention. Everyone wanted to be their friend. Everyone, everyone wanted to contact with them. And they did some good things. And people got saved. And people grew. And ministry started. And some really good things happened. But all of a sudden, it imploded. Their leader fell. The church fell. All their stuff got given away. There is no Mars Hill Church anymore. And who knows what Mark Driscoll's up to. Everything fell apart. And as the story goes, there was compromise. And it, it, there was unrepentance. And you kind of have to say that at some point God said, well, you've had enough time. Now I'm going to deal with it. So when it comes out, it will be dealt with. And a whole bunch of people in churches stood up straight that day when everything imploded, and said, wow, I better be careful. And we better make sure we're doing things the right way. And the message got out. So did, did God cause all this to happen and all this to come out? Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But he definitely let us know that this is not how it's supposed to work. And, and he did not protect them in their compromise. So we have to be aware of the compromise, and we have to be aware that God will act to, to correct these situations. Sometimes he'll act dramatically, and, and, and sometimes we don't know, sometimes we do know, sometimes it's scary, but if I'm living in compromise, this should make me think about stopping. I want to hear from Pergamum, repent, or I'm going to fight you, much more than I want to hear, I'm on my way. This is what's happening next. So number five in your notes, there were instructions to the faithful, be strong to the very end, look, look to the end, and there was a promise to those who are faithful, your reward is in heaven. Authority, position, relationship, it's all in heaven. Look that way, that's where you're going to find your strength. Now I want you to notice a few more things, things that I don't want you to forget. Number one, compromise is once again the issue. Once again, compromise. Uh, was there only seven churches he could write letters to? What, was, there, was there, he needed seven churches, so he wrote about compromise twice? No, I think compromise is a big deal to God. I think compromise is a big deal to God. I think compromise is one of Satan's best lies. Oh, you know what? God doesn't really care. Don't worry about it, Eve. God didn't really mean that. Right? It's one of his big lies. The compromise is a big deal to God. Number two, the people in the church were not expressing a righteous love 
to those who compromised. They were not expressing a righteous love. A righteous love does not say, well, go ahead anyway, or I'll look the other way, or I won't say anything. Sometimes a righteous love has to speak, but a righteous love never approves, never gives you an audience. A righteous love never puts you on a pedestal. This woman claimed to be a prophet. She claimed to speak for God to you and to speak to God about you. She claimed to be a prophet. Okay? And they gave her a platform. They gave her a voice. They gave her time. Maybe even gave her the position. And they tolerated it. And it was not loving to do that. They may have thought it was loving. We're not going to make waves. We're not going to cause trouble. We're not going to do this or that. But it did. Number three. Jezebel's judgment matched her hypocrisy and her deception. Notice Jezebel claimed to be a, a prophet. She claimed to speak for God. And, and the cost or the consequence or the punishment for her saying, I'm going to speak for God, was God giving her a very harsh punishment. He matched the punishment to the crime. And he does that. He will do that. There will be hotter places in hell for people that have earned it. Even the nicest person who doesn't receive Christ will go to hell, but it will be not like Hitler's hell or some of these other folks. It doesn't match. Number four, the reward we should be truly seeking is eternal reward. We should be seeking the final reward. We should be thinking about eternity. We should be looking forward to it. Eternity should be on our minds so that the day-to-day -day doesn't depress us and get us down. Now here's a warning to Heritage Bible Church. Compromise sneaks in the back door and becomes a spiritual squatter. You've heard about squatters, right? They get into your house and they never leave. Squatters. Sometimes we call them teenagers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, they get into your house and they never leave. And, and then all of a sudden, they have rights. You've heard of squatters' rights. You can't kick out the squatters. They've been there for six weeks. But I'm the owner. doesn't matter. Compromise sneaks in the back door and becomes a squatter. How does it happen? Well, it happens when I have a desire to fit in with the culture or with the, my friends or a group. I, I, I want to fit in, and fitting in is more important than, than standing up with God. It happens when uh, I have a failure to rightly define sin. When I say, well, I know the Bible says that's wrong, but I don't think it's as wrong. I, well, today we live in a different world, and in today's world, that's, that's not really sin. It was a big deal back then because of this, that, and the other, but now it's not. So we fail to define sin. We fail to keep sin, sin. C, we abandon absolute truth for relativism. Relativism means it's, it's, it's all relative. It's all changing. It can change with circumstances, with culture. It can change based on the cost. So truth is truth until truth isn't truth. Truth, absolute truth is always absolute truth. And, and we can trade that. That's compromise. D, uh, compromise is, is moving close-fisted issues into the realm of open palm issues. A close-fisted issue, as I stumble through my words, is an issue that I cannot compromise on because compromise would eliminate or, or disregard or cause someone not to be saved. Like a closed-fisted issue is that Jesus Christ died on the cross 
for the remission of sins. And without his body being broken and his blood being shed, we cannot be saved. We can't let go of that. We can't let go of God as the creator of the universe. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. And when he says goes, and he gave us his word, and it is the, the ultimate authority. We can't let go of that. There's certain things we will cling to and die for. Closed-fisted. Now, other things that are open, open palm. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm right here, but I could be wrong. I'm not going to fight about these. I'm just going to practice them. So I could get to heaven, and God might say, you know, you did a pretty good job, but you're a little hard-headed in this area. And I'll go, I'm sorry. I, 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 I shouldn't have been. And God will go, well, that's okay. Come on in. Welcome to your reward. You did really good otherwise. And, and every group's going to have one or two of those. Well, we get there, and we'll go, oh, got that one wrong, didn't I? Hopefully not very many. But these are over here. We're not going to argue. We're not going to disfellowship. I'm not going to get angry with you. Your, your palm can look different than my palm. But as soon as I take these things and I start moving them over here, I'm a false teacher. And it's a false doctrine. And that's compromise. Well, I know God is all love. And what would a loving God do? Would a loving God send someone to hell? Well, I don't think so. That sounds terrible. Ping. Now it leaves my closed fist, and now it comes over here where everybody gets to go to heaven no matter what. There is no hell. There's no eternal, comp there's no eternal consequence. Now all of a sudden I'm a false teacher. And it sounded so kind when it happened, right? When I, when I let one of these closed-fisted fisted issues turn into an open palm issue, I've compromised. Compromise when I fail to take a stand. Now, we're not always called to take a stand. That's why we rely on the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit says, take a stand, and I take a run, or I take a chair, or I hide in the closet, that's compromise. And then the last one, compromise is allowing a personality or an influencer to replace biblical authority. Well, somebody or something else to start telling me what is and what is not and, and I put the Bible on the shelf and believe what they say. So twice now, in the letters, compromi uh, compromise has been addressed. So I think we better pay attention. And we better avoid those compromises. Let's pray. And when I get done praying, I know, I know you will have the urge to immediately stand up and exit the room. Don't do that. I have one more thing to tell you after I pray. Father God, thank you for your warning about compromise. Thank you for letting us know that you take it seriously. And thank you for letting us know that there can become a point in time where you step in. Now, we would believe that this Jezebel is not a believer and that you've given her plenty of opportunities to become a believer and she's heard the truth, yet she's rejected it, come up with her own truth and, and, and brought that into the church. And, and you said, no, that's enough. And, and you're going to bring judgment on her. And I'm sure you did. And so, Father, as believers, we have a little bit of comfort that our, our punishment has already been given to Christ, but discipline can come our way, and we need to repent of our compromises. Help us to see them. Help us to avoid them. Help us not to let them get into our life and become squatters. Father, help us as a church to stand firm, to have that, that good long list of positive things, but, but not so much the negative. 
Help us to be self-aware and, and help us to listen to you. And I ask this in your son's name. Amen.